This week's Deeper Dig is brought to you by Casella Waste Systems. Let's recycle better together. Be sure to empty and clean recyclables. When in doubt, throw it out. Americans toss far too many non-recyclable items in their recycling bins. It adds up and hurts recycling programs. Learn what belongs in your blue bin at casella.com recyclebetter. Let's recycle better together. From VT Digger, I'm Mike Doherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, the death of an advocate for PFOA victims in southwestern Vermont has become a call to action for supporters of a bill that would give citizens legal tools to fight polluters. It's also a symbol of the ongoing impact of the contamination in Bennington. I sat down with our environmental reporter, Emma Cotton. We are going. Great. Okay. Well, I'm just going to get into it then. This is kind of an unusual story because you and I have both visited this person in Bennington at different times and under somewhat different circumstances. So you guys had a busy day down here? So far, yeah. I went back in 2019. It was August. I was there with uh, one other reporter and we were there to talk to Sandy Sumner. I might actually move a little closer, yep. that's okay. That's we yeah. met Sandy Sumner and his wife, Marie-Pierre Huguet, and they were totally welcoming, brought us into their home. We sat in the living room and talked about Sandy's experience. My wife and I, we were constantly sick. <clears throat> After moving to Bennington, he started to experience some strange health issues. He said he and Marie-Pierre both started getting nosebleeds. We got headaches, migraines, sore throats, nosebleeds. And Sandy linked those health problems to ChemFab, this factory nearby that used to make Teflon-coated fabric that also contaminated their drinking water well with this toxic chemical, PFOA. That's the thing about chemical contamination. You can't see it. And uh, because you can't see it, it's easy to forget about. So it's tricky in that regard to get people to understand that even if your water tastes fine, it's very harmful for you if you drink it with these kind of PFAS, PFOA chemicals. We sat and chatted for, I think, about 45 minutes or so. We went outside to take some pictures. He had these beautiful flower gardens, and this was middle of August, so everything was blooming. The flowers were just like meticulously arranged around these gardens with, you know, walking paths and rocks, beautifully manicured lawn, all colors of flowers, pink and white and red, a couple little structures that I think Sandy had probably built because he's a carpenter. And he took us out to the front yard too, where he had this antique water pump that was sitting in the place, he told us, where their well had been capped because their well had been contaminated and they could no longer use it for drinking water. And so he got this beautiful green antique water pump and set it up in that spot, which I think if you're driving past, you would just think that it's part of the garden decorations. But for Sandy and Marie-Pierre, it meant something very different. Emma, you have been talking to Marie-Pierre under sort of different circumstances. Can you catch me up on what's been happening for them since that day in 2019? Yes, I can. So I went down to Bennington earlier this month in February, and I went to the Putnam Black 
where Marie-Pierre lives now. She lives on her own because Sandy has now passed away. He died on August 4th, 2021. He had undifferentiated pleomorphic sarcoma, which was a rare and aggressive form of cancer that he very strongly believed was linked to the PFOA contamination and exposure. Sandy Drink and Marie-Pierre both drank water from their contaminated well for decades. So he had very high levels of PFOA in his blood. Sit across from you so that you don't have to... I met up with Marie-Pierre and she told me the story. She lives in this beautiful apartment. Uh, It has these amazing views of downtown Bennington and the mountains. It's decorated with a lot of the items that Sandy made for her over the years, made for them. Um, Tables and chests and a mirror. That's a mirror that was made out of one of our trees in our garden. I would give him a hard time anytime he had to cut one down. I hate <laughs> trees being cut. So he had it mill and he made a mirror out of it. She lives there alone. He set up the apartment for her before he died. So she's, you know, she loves her new location, but of course she misses Sandy really dearly. And yeah, very different circumstance from when you went and visited Sandy and Marie-Pierre back in 2019, I think it was. Yeah. He really, his heart was in Vermont and he moved here to live in about, I think, 85, 86, a couple of years before we met. How did you meet? Totally by accident. It was... Sandy grew up in Pittsburgh. Marie-Pierre grew up in France. And he had an extended family in Vermont and he used to come up to the state every summer He went to New England College, which I believe is in New Hampshire, and um, he wanted to live in in Vermont. And so he met Marie-Pierre, who also had moved here. I don't think she was planning to stay very long, but they met at a party in Bennington. And she said they were very close friends, and of course it became more than that. We really, more than anything else, we were best friends. And what is hard in all this is, yes, I lost my husband, but I lost my best friend. And that is hard, you know. They had this beautiful house. They adored their vegetable gardens. And Marie-Pierre said when she met Sandy, he wasn't really a cook. But over time, he became a cook because she was a cook. (laughs) And she worked far away and would come back for the weekends. And she learned from Sandy's siblings that he would practice making meals for her and then um, serve them to her over the weekend. So... They ate a lot of foods from their garden. They wanted to live off the land. And they really enjoyed Bennington. They loved it there. We studied with flower beds. <laughs> and everything in the back, you know, you sit on the porch. You had that gorgeous, gorgeous view. And then we realized people started making fun of us because this is Vermont. You, you cannot eat your flowers. So <laughs> we realized we needed a vegetable garden, right? Plus we thought it would be great. And honestly, so Sandy had a slight tendency to get carried away. So we had eight raised beds. Wow. That were enough food that, you know, we had plenty to give people. Uh, I learned to can, I learned to freeze. I learned which beans are better for freezing, which ones are better for canning. You know, and it was wonderful. You know, I, I, I loved it. What did she tell you about how they first suspected that something strange was happening, either with their water or with this factory down the road. Sure. So Sandy had called and made some complaints before anyone knew about the PFOA contamination. You know, he smelled things that didn't smell right in the air. 
And as you mentioned, they started having nosebleeds and some odd symptoms. In the early 90s, I think Kim Fab at the time started doing something else. They did something with their chimneys. Next thing you know, we have that black dust everywhere. Mm. And then we didn't make the connection at the time, but we both started having nosebleeds. And in my case, I'd never had one in my life. I didn't even know what to do. I couldn't stop this. I mean, I'm not kidding. I'd be in a meeting at RPI and suddenly I had to leave because my nose just out of the blue would start bleeding. Later on, um, a state official showed up at their house and said they were testing wells. It was supposed to be a routine sort of, you know, we this is an abundance of caution. We're not expecting to find anything too crazy. And then they got a call from a somewhat frantic state official later on saying, immediately stop drinking your water. And I thought this one was really interesting. Try not to breathe when you're taking a shower, um, which is, you know, doesn't really work out (laughs) um, very well. So that's when they knew and and they, they had their well tested. They had very high levels of PFOA, some of the highest in their neighborhood. It never, ever occurred to any of us that it could happen in Bennington. This is Vermont, you know? We have laws, you know? Fa- factories <laughs> leave Vermont, they go and pollute somewhere else. I remember, you know, looking back, the irony of it, joking, laughing, yeah, yeah, just, you can do whatever you want, that's the water, you know, it's good. We didn't know. And then to see these numbers that we got, <laughs> that was like, it was unreal. They lived close to this plant, a few blocks away from the ChemFab plant, which is, you know, now no longer operating and owned by St. Gobain, which is an international plastics company based in France. And they're uphill of it. So what had been happening was for 30 years, this plant was emitting PFOA into the air through their smokestacks, thousands of pounds over the 30 years that this was operating. And it settled on people's properties, you know, on their lawns and, you know, seeped into the groundwater and contaminated 2,700 residential properties in the area and impacted 8,000 residents in Bennington. In total, it was a 26 square mile area. It's 18 times the size of Central Park. So this was, you know, not just Sandy and Marie Pierre who were affected, but certainly they were among the folks who were impacted most by this. Those vegetable gardens that you were talking about, She said they couldn't eat those vegetables anymore. They couldn't eat the vegetables anymore. You know, it's interesting. I've talked to neighbors and state officials at this point about Sandy, and everyone, without being prompted, mentions those gardens. They had to rip up those eight beds. We realized that we couldn't grow vegetables, and there's nothing worse than a dying vegetable garden. Sandy waited for me not to be home because he knew how hard it would be. I gave him a hard time for a tree, so the vegetable garden was not going to be easy either. Waited for me to be away at work, and then he pulled out the garden. And that was heart-wrenching to come home, and the garden was gone. And I think that that represented for them this big loss of the quality of life that they had. You know, it was their food, it was their water, it was the way that they wanted to live was sort of wrapped up in that garden. It sounds like a really big part of your life. At the time. It was, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, you live healthy, you make choices. You know, we 
didn't have fancy cars or anything like that. We had a beautiful, simple life, you know, and that we built together. Okay, did most of the building, but you know, <laughs> I did the cooking, people. That <laughs> and, counts. Yeah, and that the annoying. <laughs> and the annoying, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but that's, you know, it's like ev everything that you thought you were doing right, you realize that you weren't, and you had nothing to do with the wrongness of it. When did Sandy's health so really start to decline? So things happened with Sandy pretty quickly. They discovered a mass. He had surgery for that mass on December 1st of 2020. That was a really difficult surgery for him. Marie-Pierre said he almost died during the surgery. The tumor that they found was 20 centimeters, which is pretty big. And then in early March, they went back for a checkup, you know, hoping that the cancer wouldn't be around anymore. And the tumor was back. Early March is when he had his checkup. And we learned that the tumors were right back where they were before, oh exactly gosh. where they were not supposed to come back. Wow. And the doctor said, uh, sir, I've never seen that. Wow. Uh, and that's when we learned that Sally was not going to make it. And it was five months later that he passed away. So they were really able to kind of plan for his death. Yeah, they were. And they did. Uh, Marie Pierre has some interesting stories about going to the funeral home with Sandy. I guess the folks at the funeral home were a bit surprised about that. He had a bit of a sense of humor, she said. Oh, oh my gosh. I, he did not want me to have to deal with it. Okay, wow. so then we have the conversation about the urn. No, I am. I, I want a box. What? But sir, I want a box. So the, the gentleman makes a mistake. He looks at me and says, so... But you would prefer an urn, right? I'm like, oh no, I don't want him to come back to haunt me. And you know, and we're just bantering, Cindy and I. And the gentleman is like, who are these people? This is really. But you know, we were not afraid of death. Sandy was not afraid of death. He sort of took the bull by the horns with this and wrote his own obituary. Sandy's ad. Oh my gosh. Wow, it is very short, isn't it? He wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. He wrote it and he said that was it. You know, that that was it. Oh my gosh, that was in the Bennington Banner? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yes, it was. I wonder. I you know, Marie Pierre said he never yeah, I, pitied himself. I, you know, he sort of accepted that th this was something that was going to happen and he organized times to see his friends and family before he passed away. His uh, siblings, very, 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 very close people, all of them. Very close family. Uh, they're heartbroken, of course. His brother managed to come and spend two or three weeks with him. His um, sisters came, and they would have liked to stay a little longer. And he said to them, I'm done. Goodbye. And they had to leave. And he, said, he wasn't able to make it over to France, which is something that I think they really wish that they had been able to do to see Marie-Pierre's family. There was more planning that they would have done if they had more time. And they, they do wish that they had some more time and that they had more of a heads up about his illness. So when Sandy was still alive, he was involved in a couple of different advocacy efforts. 
One was this class action lawsuit against St. Cobain, this company that bought ChemFab, which they had identified as the polluter in this case. And the other was trying to advocate for this bill that would give citizens more power to sue polluters for the costs of things like medical monitoring tests that might give them an early sign of health problems. What did Marie Pierre tell you about what difference she thought that would have made for someone in Sandy's position? I think the impacts would have been tangible and intangible at the same time. Hmm. So on one side of it, when you're able to have a heads up about that kind of illness, it gives you time to plan. It gives you a name. You can call whatever's going on with you by something. You understand what's going on inside your body. On the other side of it, you know, I think Marie Pierre had a hard time pinpointing exactly what it was that she, you know, would have gotten from that, but sort of the knowledge and the power to be able to make decisions based off of what's going on with you. It's like health-wise, think about it. Like someone else might get a different kind of cancer that is for which there's actually a cure. Well, then you have, if you're a dad, a mom, a kid, you have time. Right. But if it's at the last minute when there's nothing you can do, I don't know, maybe if it had surgery sooner, you know, I mean, these are conjunctions. It's hard to know. Yeah, what, what it's you, hard to yeah. know. But, but what it does give you, it does give you a chance to plan your life and really have the quality of life you deserve until the end. The other thing that medical monitoring can do is help officials collect data about the health impacts of the chemicals that folks are exposed to. It's hard to do that. Like in this case in Bennington, I think it will be really hard for anyone to draw a concrete line between any kind of illness and PFOA because there aren't enough people who are experiencing these symptoms to be able to do that scientifically. Hmm. So Marie-Pierre and Sandy will never have the definitive closure of knowing that this, you know, his cancer was caused by PFOA. And I, you know what's interesting? I don't think we, I mean, I know I didn't immediately connect his cancer with PFOA. Hmm. I didn't. You know, we could, I think probably because I think once I realized that, then I'm like, oh my God, I could get that too. And so could my neighbor and their kids. And, you know, and then it goes downhill from there. And then you realize, I can't live in fear. But I, I am worried, you know. But he was certainly very involved in pushing for this bill. In fact, an attorney I talked to about him said that she was pushing at one point for it to be called the Sandy Sumner Medical Monitoring Bill. And, you know, he just felt that if you are exposed to a chemical you know, from doing something as simple as drinking the water in your house, that you shouldn't have to incur the expense of determining what's wrong with you if there is something wrong with you. I mean, I want to know. I want to live as long as I can. I want the option of living out a natural life without this interference, interruption. Um, and we just don't know. We, don't, we've, we feel like our, that freedom has sort of been taken away from us. Sandy and I do not believe in anger. That's not an emotion we care about. You know, if we can laugh at something, we're good to go. But Sandy was angry. Hmm. And tried not to let it impact him too much because it was, again, an alien emotion. But uh, he was going to do everything in his power to make sure that St. Gobain took responsibilities. 
he was advocating for this back when I talked to him in 2019. And it's 2022. This is still being talked about in the legislature. And Governor Phil Scott still opposes this effort. Why? Why is that debate still unsettled at this point? Yep. So this is the third version of a medical monitoring bill that has worked its way through the legislature. The legislature has approved the bill. Um, The Senate gave a preliminary approval this year. So the reason why Governor Scott and members of the business community are opposing this is because it adds a level of liability to companies, to chemical companies, that is new. And it's hard for insurance companies who are covering these companies to know exactly what that risk looks like. And a lot of policy, insurance policies just haven't been written to fit that kind of liability. So I think Governor Scott is nervous that um, companies won't be able to find the right insurance or be able to pay for maybe more expensive insurance because insurers are having to write different policies. Vermont is the first state that would have a policy like this, and this would set precedent. So I think folks who are maybe advocating for the bill are are thinking that this might spur a change in the industry, maybe one that's necessary. If I do something wrong, I have to deal with the consequences. I don't care if you bring a job to Vermont. If you do something wrong, you should bear the consequences. And, and, And I don't understand all these rationales they're giving us, and I try, because I try to be fair. I have to be fair. I don't get it. Why would you want to pollute your state or allow potential polluters in your state just because they bring jobs? So you want to bring people that may kill your citizen just because they're bringing... No, come on. We are not about the bottom line. We're not. We're Vermont for crying out loud, you know? We, we try to figure out what to do around zucchini in the summer. But it's like, I don't understand. And I don't understand that the governor of Vermont would even twice in a row already, maybe three times, turn down a basic right. But again, it allows you for denial, right? Oh, we don't know what PFOA does. Well, duh, because you're not trying to learn what it does. So anyways... Sandy and the others who were part of this class action lawsuit against St. Cobain, that lawsuit got settled and there were certain concessions made to them, including covering the cost of medical monitoring. Why are the advocates for this legislative effort arguing that that is not enough? So Emily Jocelyn, who is an attorney who represented some of the plaintiffs in this class action suit, testified in front of lawmakers earlier this session And she described the effort that those firms had to make to ultimately reach the settlement. It took five years of litigation, and the firm invested millions of dollars to ultimately get people to this point. And they did it, you know, under a contingency, so they would not be paid if they did not prevail in the suit. So the firm had to take on the risk of of a potentially really big loss, you know. And Emily's point that she made in front of lawmakers was that other firms may not have the resources to do this. Their firm is one of the only in Vermont that she knew of that would um, be prepared to take on something of the scope. So medical monitoring, you know, if there is an explicit cause of action that's carved out by this law, it could provide people an easier path to obtaining, you know, these services. And they'll still need to hire an attorney. 
but it won't be as laborious as this process was for these folks. And, you know, Marie-Pierre won't have access to medical monitoring until later this year. So that just sort of speaks to how lengthy this process was for them. Got it. One thing that struck me about your experience with Marie-Pierre is that back when I met Sandy and Marie-Pierre back in 2019, Sandy did all the talking. And even then, he seemed like kind of a reluctant advocate. I mean, he talked to us about how he didn't want to be in this position, right? Like this was forced upon him. Now it's Marie-Pierre who is doing all the talking. And you asked her about how that's changed her. What'd she tell you? Yeah, Marie-Pierre has told me from the beginning of our conversations that she does not love being in the spotlight. Sandy didn't really either, but I think he stepped into that role. And she has been more reluctant, but she's also pushing herself to do it because Sandy isn't around to do it anymore. And I think she sees a need, sees that, you know, these stories need to be told. I lost my husband. I lost my way of life. I had to sell my home, and that was my home. And I have, you know, I spent the rest of my life worrying about my health, and all I did was drink water. That's what it was, right? Mm-hmm. And they had to hear that. It's interesting. You know, I've, I've interviewed folks in the past who feel that they've experienced an injustice. They don't mean to become an advocate, but it just sort of happens organically because they want to tell that story. And I think that's what's happening with Marie Pierre. I think, you know, if you had asked her 30 years ago, if she knew what PFOA was, I think a lot of us would say no. Um, But now it's certainly a very big part of her life. What happens next? So the medical monitoring bill is working its way through the legislature. It's uh, the Senate has given preliminary approval. It's in the house now. And then we will have to see what Governor Scott will do if it passes the house, which I believe it's expected to. Governor Scott has indicated that he may consider signing this bill. He gave us a bit of a lukewarm reaction when I first reached out to him about it. He later said in a press conference that the bill has come a long way. So it seems like some of his concerns may have been assuaged, but we'll see. And, you know, for Marie-Pierre, I imagine that she will continue to speak out about this. Sandy was black and white. And you didn't mess with Sandy. And you didn't touch the people you loved mm-hmm. and cared about. Once you picked up a cause, it would take it to the end. And the PFO is a very good example. He was going to do everything that he could. Thanks, Emma. Thanks for having me, Mike. You can read more from Emma Cotton at vtdigger.org. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We use music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger newsroom. See you then.